0: When you're thinking to yourself, boy, we don't have enough apps on our phone, I want to share with you a new app you can download today. I say that like it. Carol gets my sense of humor. So just when you thought there's like, you know what? I just need another social media app on my phone. I've got one for you. If you haven't heard, there's a new app out called Be Real app. Have you guys heard about this? Some of you who are tech savvy have. Um, what I like about the Be Real app is that it randomly pops up on your phone and says, You have one minute to post something. You have one minute to post something that you can't uh, edit, you can't alter, you're not prepared for. There's no filters, there's no photo edit- editing, there's no celebrities that are posting perfect photos. It's this, it's this app that basically says, wherever you're at, at the moment, you just post something. And it's catching on like wildfire, because it actually says, here's something authentic. You don't have time to go to the bathroom and get your, I make sure my hair looks all good. Uh, I can't be in that perfect environment, like, oh, I'm at this concert, I want everybody to see, like, you could be in the bathroom and have to take a picture, and Not that we want to see that, right? But this is life. This is real. And so this app is catching on, and people are loving it. Why? Because we all know the perfect apps out there that are posting these perfect pictures of these perfect situations, these perfect scenes, these perfect people. And we know that causes of depression are increasing. Why? Because of social media and people realizing, I can't measure up to that. And the fact that we all understand that life is often unedited, amen? Life is often, you know, you can't touch things up. You can't change it. It is what it is. And so this app is really, really catching on. And I like the idea behind it because this is real life. This is how we live our lives. And this is what I want for us as a church community. Not that we need an app that says be real, but we can model this for one another, that we can accept one another unedited and unfiltered. Amen? We can accept one another not touching up all the, the blemishes, but to, to to know one another and see one another in all of our imperfections and all of our flaws and all of our failures. That is real life. That's what we see in the scripture. If, if we're going to talk about a Be Real app, let's talk about a Be Real book, because I don't think there's any more Be Real book than there is the Bible. And we're going to see this morning in Acts 7 how real the Word truly is and how God loves using Imperfect people like you and me. Don't let the, the social media apps out there hijack what's really going on, and that is people genuinely living as best as they can, struggles and all with one another, because that is what makes true community. So turn to Acts chapter 7. We get to see this, this amazing sermon by this, this guy named Stephen, and uh, it is the longest sermon in the book of Acts. And what I love about it is is uh, it comes as a response to a question. If you look at Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the high priest says, Are these things so? This is the high priest that condemned Jesus to death. The the crucifixion of Christ, the burial of Jesus, the the resurrection of Christ is fresh on everyone's mind because it just happened a couple months ago and this guy named Stephen who's a part of the early church who grew up in a jewish environment has come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and he starts out by being a table waiter and taking care of the the jewish widows that were were not being taken care of because of uh, administration you know oversight all of a sudden he goes from moving ta- uh, serving tables to talking about Jesus in the the local synagogue to anyone who might have um, a question about Christ. But then they don't like what he's saying, and they arrest him. And he says, you know, he's talking about, you know, Jesus, and they think he's he's blaspheming Moses and the law and the temple, and now he's arrested, and he's standing before this supreme court of Israel. And the high priest comes right out and says, Are these things so? Let me prepare you for about what we're, what we're about to do. Because what Stephen does in 53 verses is gives us a stunning understanding of the Old Testament. Two-thirds of your Bible is called the Old Testament. One-third is called the New Testament. I prefer to call it the Older and the Newer Testament. It's all a message of God's story. And Luke loves these type of uh, narratives, because if you look at Luke 24, write it down, there's a conversation uh, with two disciples by Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They don't know they're walking with Jesus. And from the beginning through Moses and the prophets, Jesus explains to these two disciples the, the, the will of God, the plan of God. Well, here we get it in the book of Acts. Here's what's amazing. 53 verses that cover 2,000 years of Jewish history, and we're going to do it in 30 minutes. Some of you say, no way. I say, Yahweh. Here we go. You guys ready for this? (laughs) 53 verses, 2,000 years of Jewish history, one theme. And let me be clear on this. The unifying theme throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, from the first book to the last book, all 66 books of the Bible have one unifying theme, and that is God will rescue his people through Jesus. You want to, you want to know what the Bible's about? There it is. That God has got a rescue plan, he's going to rescue everybody in Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. This is so important to understand because. Everyone in the Old Testament was saved in Jesus, just like everyone in the New Testament to our current times are saved through Jesus. This question comes up. I'm, sur- I'm surprised it doesn't come up in Questions Cafe more than it does. How were the old people in the Old Testament saved? And I tell them they were saved through Jesus. But they didn't have Jesus. Yes, they did. Jesus was all over the Old Testament, whether it be their, their sacrifices, whether it be their ceremonies, whether it be the temple. All things in the Old Testament point to the Messiah yet to come. So here's what you need to write down. In your notes, trust me, this is, this is going to be so worthwhile. As you read the Old Testament, you should be able to see Jesus on every page. And it is a forward-looking faith that the Old Testament saints banked on because of God's promises that a Messiah, a Redeemer, is coming. And so everything in the Old Testament points to the cross of Christ. Christ comes, and then we have the New Testament, and then to current day, we have a backward-looking faith. All that we believe in is what God has already done through the cross. The cross is central. Old Testament, forward-looking faith. New Testament to today, backward-looking faith. Now, I know some of you might go, Well, isn't the God of the Old Testament a different God than that of the new? Has anyone ever heard that argument from from anybody? So I attended a a seminar with Richard Dawkins. If you don't know who Richard Dawkins is, he's one of the the new atheists, Sam Harris, um, Christopher Hitchens before he passed away. Dawkins wrote a book several years ago called The God Delusion. So title alone should tell you you where where Dawkins stands on, on God, right? And yet, Dawkins, in an interview, believes that aliens existed on the backs of, on, on crystals that were on the backs of aliens that visited our planet millions of years ago, and that's why we're here today. So uh, I, su- I suspend judgment at this point on Dawkins' theory of why we're here. But Dawkins, in this lecture at Gamage, I sat and went for the Old Testament, you know, Old Testament God is, is violent and vindictive, and malicious, and angry. So here's what you'll usually hear. The God of the Old Testament is an angry God, but the God of the New Testament is a loving God. I'm going to tell you right now that the God of the entire scriptures is a consistently loving, faithful God who is continually pursuing people with gentleness, and grace, and mercy, and kindness. You can be selective and find passages of the Old Testament that you sit there and scratch your head and go, whoa, that's pretty serious. That's pretty harsh. But I'm going to tell you right now, the message of the Old Testament is one of God's grace. Because here's what Stephen's going to present to us today. God pursues us even when we continually reject him. That that That's humbling to realize that there's a God who pursues and pursues and pursues, has every right to just stop pursuing us and condemn us and judge us and kill us and get rid of us, but he doesn't. The story of history is his story of constant pursuit of people that want to continue to run from him, and yet what does he demonstrate? Continual faithfulness in chasing us and to show us that he loves us more than we can ever dream or imagine. So I say to Richard Dawkins, read your Bible, all right? Chapter 7 of Acts, let's let's look through this. What I love what Stephen does here is he knows he's going to die. He is not here to defend himself. And I'm going to tell you right now, as as a believer in Christ, you, you don't have a reputation to protect. You don't have to defend yourself when it comes to that. All you need to do is seek out opportunities to point people to Christ. Can I just say, the safe rule in living is to take advantage of every moment and point people to Christ. Because let's be honest, this is not about you. This is about what God is doing in this world through you, but ultimately this is, I'm going to be dead and gone one day and no one's going to ever remember me. But, What I do for Christ, that is eternally valuable. Can I get an amen from people? So Stephen does exactly this. He realizes, like, his life is short. So what does he take advantage of at this moment when he's got this audience, the Supreme Court of Israel? He's going to give them a little history lesson. And he's going to bring it to a fitting conclusion because he's going to say, Just like the entire Old Testament demonstrates God chasing, God chasing, God chasing, and the people of God rejecting, 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 he's going to basically say to this audience, you're no different than your ancestors. When will you turn to the God who's demonstrating even today he loves you? And he's going to do it through major movements. We're going to see these major movements. He's going to talk about Abraham. He's going to talk about Joseph. He's going to talk about Moses. He's going to talk about the kings, David, Solomon, And then he's going to talk about us. So look at this. Verse 2. 53 verses. Here we go. He said, hear me, brethren and fathers. There's a connection here. We have a shared history. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. Our father Abraham. He was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, depart from your country, your relatives, and come into the land that I will show you. Just so you know, first point, write this in your notes. Abraham, and why he's talking about Abraham is this. It communicates the reminder of God's promise. None of us would be here without God first seeking out a pagan man in some sort of foreign country and saying, I'm going to make you a promise. And the promise is this. Write down three words. Land. Land seed blessing if you read genesis 12 genesis 15 god said i will give you a land flowing with milk and honey i will give you a seed through your seed your son i will bless the entire world and then through that seed will come ultimate blessing for everybody jew and gentile alike so we see that abraham the father of the three great world faiths judaism christianity and islam with the only one being the true faith, Christianity, because through the line of Abraham's son comes Jesus. Now let me just stop and and, and tell you something real quick when it comes to understanding the Abrahamic covenant. That's what we call Genesis 12, Genesis 15. All that God promised to Abraham has already come fulfilled. So check this out. Because this is something you need to consider Especially when it comes to evangelical circles that talk about the importance of our relationship to Israel. (gasps) Got to protect Israel. Got to protect the Temple Mount. Got to get the Temple Mount back from the the Muslims because this has to do with end time stuff. I'm going to tell you right now, there's no Temple Mount to to protect. The temple's already come. His name is Jesus. All people who want to meet God meet him through Jesus, not through some building in the Middle East. Can I get an amen from somebody? Yeah. Uh, here's the thing the land promised to abraham god gave abraham all the land he had promised him J- joshua 24 says this all the land promised to abraham god gave them but they lost the land why because of disobedience there's no promise yet to be fulfilled and even abraham in Hebrews says this the writer of Hebrews says abraham saw a country better country yet to come what you need to understand is that what God promises you may not come to fulfillment on this side of eternity, but if you keep your eyes focused on Christ, all the promises are yes and amen in him. So the land promise to Abraham already came fulfilled. The seed promise, God blessed Abraham with a son, that's come fulfilled. And then the blessing that has come through the line of Abraham, Jesus is now standing as a blessing for all that would come to him in faith, Jew and Gentile alike. Can I get an amen from all people? So here we go. So he departed from the land of Chaldean, settled in Haran. From there his father died. God removed him in this country which you are now living. He gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. So he says, Abraham, I'm going to promise you land, but he never gets a single square inch of property. And yet, even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him. But God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be aliens in foreign land and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. You know what that's called? That's called the Exodus, right? That's Israel under the bondage of Egypt. And so God is saying this to Abraham, and it comes fulfilled. And whatever nation to which they shall be bondage, I myself will be their judge. And God, after that, will come out and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. So this was the, the demarcation of the people of God. You're going to circumcise all your male people. Imagine going into the camp and renouncing this news to all the guys. God told me, God circumcised, like, I'm looking for another tribe at this point. How about you other dudes, right? Right? But again, the circumcision of the flesh is not what mattered. Abraham believed God, Romans 4, verse 3. Write this down, Romans 4, verse 3. Abraham believed God, and his belief was reckoned to him as righteousness. I'm going to come back to this point throughout this, this, this entire message. You are not saved by where you go to church. You are not saved by the type of Bible you read, whatever translation. You are not saved because you get baptized. You are not saved because you take communion. You're not saved by any external act. You are saved because your heart believes in Christ. Romans chapter 2 verses 28 and 29 says this, you are Abraham's offspring. If not Not because you have a circumcision of the flesh. You are Abraham's offspring if your heart has been circumcised. This would be totally right in the face of these Jewish men who are priding themselves on external ritual. And there is no substitute, biblically, Old or New Testament, external ritual does not get you saved. The experience of reality of Jesus circumcising your heart, that's what gets you saved. So write those verses down, Romans chapter 2. So by, by Stephen referring to this, this is awesome, right? He gave this as circumcision, but it's not the circumcision of the flesh that saves. It's the circumcision of the heart. Are we clear on that? And so, first chapter, Israel's history, Abraham, done. Let's talk about this real quick as we close uh, on this point. A reminder of God's promise. What has God promised you? What he's promised you is a country that is far better than any country of this world could ever offer you. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, write it down. Our home is an eternal home laid up for us in heaven that Jesus says he's preparing for us right now. See, when you realize that maybe all the things that you want and you desire and you long for will not be fulfilled on this side of eternity— Every promise God has for you is yes and amen in Christ when it comes to you in eternity with with him forever. This is what Abraham believed. Even when there was no soil, even when there was no sun, even when there was no understanding of how these things would play out, he trusted God by faith. Are you in that camp as well? Are you in the camp that says, Me and God have a transactional relationship. I do this for him. He does this for me. What if God never does a single thing for you, if only saving your life? Are you okay with that? And realizing that everything else that is promised to us in Christ is yes and amen in him, in eternity. Can you wait? Are you different than Abraham? Because I'm going to tell you right now, the same faith Abraham had, you have today, because if you believe in Jesus, that is reckoned to you as righteousness and you're good with God. Can I get an amen? What do you trust in God for today? Is it realistic? Is it is according to Scripture? Can you go to the Scripture and say, this is what God has promised me? Because I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of us feel, we feel hijacked when it comes to our faith sometimes because we believe things that may or may not be true about God. He's a, he hasn't promised you health. He hasn't promised you a spouse. He hasn't promised you children. He hasn't promised you a a great career. What he has promised you more than any of that is his presence. And this is what Abraham knew. God's promises always reinforce his presence. Write that down. That's good. That's like gold nugget of the morning right there. God's promises always reinforce his presence. Because more than anything, God will not give you a gift without first giving you himself. And when you realize you have God himself, no other gift he gives you can compare to his presence in your life. Woo, that's good. I could preach for an hour on that. We're not going to. Point number two. He shifts now to Joseph, who is a reminder of God's providence. You guys remember the the account of Joseph? So Joseph, who came from the the lineage of uh, Abraham's offspring, Isaac, was this he had he had brothers remember this the, the and the father let me just say there was some favoritism in the home he made his son a special robe we all saw andrew lloyd webbers uh, the technicolor dream coat right you know this is all about joseph and his siblings and the siblings were jealous of the brother because the brother was the youngest but the brother was the one having all these dreams that you'll bow down to me one day and the older brothers were like yeah likely that's going to happen so what do they do to the brother anyone remember well well, they threw him down a pit, and they, they thought, murdering our brother the way out? I'm going to tell you right now, if you have siblings, murder is never the option to get rid of your siblings. Okay. But, but you got to appreciate the entrepreneurial mindset of these brothers. Hey, let's not kill our brother. Let's sell him into slavery. So if making a buck off your sibling is a good idea to you, maybe it's not. But here's what's amazing about Joseph. Look at verse 9. And the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, and yet God was with him. So notice God is with Abraham when he's not in the Holy Land, when he's not in the temple, when he's on the tabernacle. God is with Joseph even when he's exiled to Egypt. What, the, what Stephen wants you to understand is that God is not necessarily with you in your spiritual places. He's with you everywhere all the time. We'll come back to that. And he rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his household. So if you remember Joseph, he went through a lot of trials and ultimately became the second most powerful man in Egypt. Now that didn't come without heartache and headache. He was accused of rape. You remember that? He was left to, be, to die in prison because the, the baker and the cupbearer forgot about him and put a good word in for him, but eventually Joseph rose to the ranks of second in command. Verse 11, famine comes over all of Egypt, and you remember how wise Joseph was. He tells Pharaoh, uh, hey, save grain because famine's coming. And this was all God's way of getting Joseph and the others in his family to Egypt. Why is God's providence hard to understand? Because we don't understand the ways of God and how he works. We think God is going to work according to our ta- timetable. How many of you have given up that uh, on that years ago? You come to God with a plan and say, God, here's what I want you to do. Jump through this hoop, cross this bridge, walk down this road, and you come to God with your plans. Can I just tell you right now, you need to throw that thing away right now. God's providence says he's working even in the circumstances you would never choose for yourself, even in the circumstances that are difficult for you to even see God, you need to send. God is working. And God is working out your good, whether you realize it or not. The question is, are you resisting it or are you accepting it? So here's the thing. Joseph submits himself, because sometimes he can't do anything but submit himself, being sold into slavery, but he chooses to honor God. Let me just tell you right now, if you choose to honor God, no matter what situation you're in, you can trust God's going to direct your steps. You're going to trust that God's going to protect your heart. You better believe that God is going to engage your mind in your, if you're not going to honor God, there's no reason he's going to honor you. Joseph chooses to honor God in his life. And all of a sudden, through trials and tribulations, this man rises to the ranks and ultimately saves his family that meant to do him wrong. And one of the most beautiful scenes in all the Old Testament, right? Genesis chapter 50, he sends his family to go get their dad and come back, and he's going to provide them grain and a new place to live. And at the table, he reveals to his brothers who he is. And I'm crying like a baby, you're crying like a baby, and he forgives his brothers and says, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. That's called providence, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to tell you right now, the, the lessons that Joseph has learned are no different than the lessons we're learning today. That we tend to write off difficulties, and we tend to write off trials, and we tend to write off all these circumstances that are not working out the way we want it to work out. Here's what I'm going to tell you. No matter what season of life you may be in, honor God. Trust Him. And you're going to find out one day that God is the greatest behind-the-scenes actor ever working out whatever is going on for your ultimate good because he's got a destiny for you that's better than your destiny for yourself. But here's the thing. Joseph initially was rejected by his family. And then he was accepted by his family. Stephen wants you to know that the same thing happened to jesus there's rejection of the messiah but there's ultimately today acceptance of him stop rejecting and accept because one day it will be too late so he says so there's this lesson from from joseph now there's this lesson from moses number three now he spends the most time on moses why? Because maybe like that's his favorite? No, because he's accused of dishonoring Moses in his, in his temple uh, synagogue dialogues. So he feels like he needs to spend a lot of time on Moses. We're not going to spend a lot of time on Moses. But he covers three stages of, of Moses' life. What do we know about Moses? It's a reminder of God's patience. Now, this is like a choose-your-own-adventure uh, story. You can also write down in the blank, not just patience, but write down God's protection. I kind of went back and forth like, hmm, which one would Missy O'Day want today? Protection or patience? I'm going, why choose? Here is Israel in bondage. God has promised to deliver them, but it's been 400 years. Building, building, building. Moses is saved as a little baby. You remember the mom? You know, they said, kill all the children. Mom, Moses says, nope. Sends them down the little, little the reed basket down the river. Grows up in Pharaoh's household, learns everything about Egyptian culture, sees his people suffering, he steps up and thinks, I'm gonna deliver my people. How did that happen? Remember when they saw uh, he saw the Egyptian and the, and the Jewish person fighting? He kills the Egyptian. And he steps in, not by faith, but he steps in because he thinks this is the this is the moment for him to be the, the deliverer of his people. And everyone rejects him and says, What, are you gonna kill us like you did the Egyptian? Remember that scene? Imagine being rejected by your own people. You feel like I- I'm gonna be the deliverer, and you're rejected by them. What does he do at that moment? He runs away. So for 40 years he's in Egypt. 40 more years he's in this place called Midian. He marries, has kids. Listen, 80 years, he's a failure. Matter of fact, write that down by Moses' name, failure. Anyone feeling like a failure? Moses felt like a failure. 2 thirds of his life, he failed. So I'm going to tell you right now, if there's anyone over the age of 80 who doesn't feel like they can be used, I'm going to tell you right now, perhaps you're entering into the best season of your life. Some of you are like, oh, but I'm only 30. Well, you got a lot of time then. Seize today. So Moses, 0 to 40, Egypt. 40 to 80, Midian, God calls him in Midian by means of a burning bush and says, now you're going to deliver my people. Though they rejected you once, they're going to accept you this time. And he says, who am I going to tell him sent me? You tell him I am sent you. And we all know, we all saw Prince of Egypt. We've all seen Charlton Heston, right? Whoever, whatever depiction of Moses you've seen, he delivers his people. But for 40 years, they're now in the wilderness. Now, as an 80, 90, 100-year-old, you don't want to deal with griping people, but that's all they're doing is griping. And in a sense, they reject him again. So much so, they don't just reject Moses, they reject God because he goes up on Mount Sinai to meet with God. He comes down, and what have they done? They've built a golden calf that they're now worshiping. So God wants you to know that even though people might reject you, sometimes they're just ultimately rejecting God. But does God strike them dead and end the story right there? No. Here's the story of Moses that they are a people. Look at verse 39. See, see how fast we skipped so many verses? I'm summarizing this for you. Your fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but repudiated him, and their hearts turned back to Egypt. You know what they said? We would rather be back enslaved in Egypt than be freed in the wilderness with God. Wrap your minds around that, ladies and gentlemen. Rejection of God's deliverer, rejection of God himself, but yet God continues to show himself faithful. Number four, the kings. David and Solomon. Look at verse 46. And you guys can go back and read this. This is, this again, 2,000 years of Jewish history in 53 verses. Look at verse 46. David found favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. So here's a reminder of God's presence. David initiated, God, I want to build a temple for you. God said, you're not going to initiate the temple work. I'll initiate it, and it's not going to be with you. It's going to be with your son. Can I just tell you right now, God is a God that initiates with us all the time. God is a God who's t- who makes the first step. He, he makes the first step in you being saved. You didn't love God first. He first loved you. Can I get an amen from somebody? First John says this. We don't love God because we've decided to love Him. We decided to love God because He first decided to love us. And God says, you're not going to initiate a temple for me. Matter of fact, I'm not going to be a God who's going to dwell in a temple made with your hands. I can dwell anywhere as He's already demonstrated. He's He's dwelling in Meso- Mesopotamia. He's dwelling in Egypt. He's But then Solomon comes along, verse 47, and Solomon who built a house for him, however, he says, the most high does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. And then he quotes Isaiah 66. Look at what it says. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? Was it not my hand which made all of these things? Meaning, You're going to create a place for me to live when I created just the the building materials themselves? Like, how dare you? But notice, if you look at Isaiah 66, Stephen leaves the last part of verse 2 out. Because Isaiah 66, verse 2, the second part that you don't have here that you can look at later in Isaiah says this. But it is the humble and contrite that I will have relationship with. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason Stephen says these things about Abraham, about Joseph, about Moses, even about the kings, has to do with the presence of God, that he is with us all the time. No matter where you may be, He is with you all the time. So many people think God is at Sozo Coffee Sunday mornings between 9 and 12. But what you need to remember is probably the fact that God wants to get your attention of his presence outside of this context on Sunday morning. That God is a God who says to you, I'm with you in your work and I'm with you in your home and I'm with you at the gym and I'm with you at the movies and I'm with you no matter where you go. And when we leave with a a constant awareness of God's presence, it does something for us. It motivates us to go, I'm going to honor God. In this relationship, I'm going to honor God in this place of work. I'm going to honor God in my hobbies and in my luxuries and on my vacation and whatever I put my hands to because don't you dare relegate God to some sort of location. He is not a location God. He is a pilgrim God unleashed everywhere, everywhere all the time. And so Solomon himself says you cannot contain God. And yet why is this important? Why is Stephen's message on Old Testament history important? Because he's been attacked for demeaning Moses and he's been attacked for desecrating the temple. Here's what these men need to understand that are the Supreme Court of Israel. The law was never meant for you to follow. Your hearts have to be changed through Jesus. The temple was not meant to be idolized because God does not dwell in temples made of hands. You know where God dwells now? He dwells in the hearts of everybody who believes in Jesus. Your heart, your life is now the temple of God. Which brings us to this, you and me. Notice how Stephen concludes his sermon. Check this out. Verse 51. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised. Now stop right there. Obviously he didn't read the Dell Carnegie bestseller, How to Win Friends and Influence People. But he uses these words deliberately because these are the words God uses for his own people throughout the Old Testament. Stiff-necked and uncircumcised just hearing those words would automatically get under their skin because that's how non-believers are addressed. That's how the Gentiles are addressed. That's how everyone outside of Israel is addressed. They are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit just as you are doing just like your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not kill? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you the fact that those here in this room this morning who have resisted Jesus are no better off than those who res- resisted Jesus in Stephen's audience at this moment 2,000 years ago. Men and women remain stiff-necked and uncircumcised because they reject Jesus, the Messiah. L- 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 let me just, do hear what Stephen's saying here. They resist the spirit, they kill Jesus, and then perhaps the most mind-blowing one of all, God has given them his word, and they continue to ignore it. Can I tell you, as a pastor, as a preacher, if you want to call me that, some people call me preacher, some people call me Holy Papa, don't go that, don't, don't go that far. Holy Papa, come in, Holy Papa. That's my my CB signal. You are lost without Christ, but can be found in Him. the The moment you resist God, you seek some other God. Matter of fact, the great George Orwell. My daughter's reading Animal Farm. How many of you were met? You were forced to read Animal Farm growing up or his other classic, 1984. Orwell was not a believer in Jesus, but here's what George Orwell said. He said, when men stop worshiping God, they promptly start worshiping man with disastrous results. We form our own deities, and the deities we form destroy us. And Stephen is trying to reach his audience with the life-giving, hope-filling message of Christ. But they continue to ignore with disastrous results. If if you ignore God's voice, you will seek after some human voice, and that human voice is going to seek to destroy you and ultimately murder you. Can I tell you right now, my wife is watching some a show on, on cult leaders, which I don't know. My wife likes to serial murder shows and cult leader shows. So anyone else in that camp right there? So, so she's watching the show. She's like, honey, you got to watch this. So she showed me a little clip of it. And I'm amazed how many cult leaders come and go and how many people are led astray by this, this, this control and this manipulation. So she's watching this one woman who is, is leading these people. And one guy out of the group is questioning her. And she puts him in his place and says, I have no one above me because I am clearly the highest one of wisdom in this room. That's who it is. Don't, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. We don't give them any more credit than they deserve. <laughs> and so here's the thing. People latch on to this and then they exist this position, right, where there's no higher authority. They become the authority But it is so manipulative. It is so controlling. And before you know it, you're brainwashed and hijacked in your life. And I'm going to tell you right now, you all, without Christ, if you don't have Christ, you're following somebody. And you're listening to somebody. And they may be promising you the moon. They may be promising you a a, a trouble-free life. I don't know what they're promising you. But there is no substitute for Christ because ultimately the God you're following is going to destroy you. I don't know what social media thing you're following, what political campaign you're following, what sort of you know organization. I'm like you're all Apple. Well, Apple's going to kill you one day, just like it killed the Adam and Eve in the garden. Amen. Can I? Oh, I had to go there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't use Apple, so I can say things like that flippantly, right? But here's the thing: you all, if you don't have Jesus, you have some sort of God, and that God will ultimately disappoint you. And Stephen says to us. Remember, God's pursuing you. Here's what I want for you today. I want for you to stop being stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. I want you to start listening to the voice of God. Do you know how much of a blessing it is to have God's Word given to you? Notice Notice how Stephen describes this in verse 53. You have received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you do not keep it. The greatest thing you can do in your following Jesus is obey his words. You are my disciples if you do what I say. Here's the good news. Jesus isn't a cult leader who's trying to destroy you. He's the God of the universe who's trying to rescue you. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once blind, but now I see. And there's not a day that goes by that God reminds me of his grace and his mercy and his kindness. There are days that happen where I, want, I don't want God, but boy, praise God for his pursuit of me. Even in my disobedience, even in my rebellion, he gets a hold of me and says, we're going to go. Remember when, when, when Jesus confronted Peter and said, hey, all these people claim to love me, but they're leaving me. They're not following me. Where are you guys going to go? And Peter says, Jesus, where are we to go? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. Who are you following? What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in going to church for your salvation? It's going to disappoint you. Are you trusting in trying to be the best, the best person you could be? Well, without God, that's exhausting. Stop running and surrender. There's a God who's pursuing your heart today and says you don't need the law and you don't need the temple and you don't need to subscribe to a bunch of religious rules and regulations. You just need Jesus. And even Jesus himself, write this passage down, look at it later. He says in John 5, you keep the law, and you go to the temple and you do all these things, but the very thing you haven't done is come to me. I want to be that water that flows in your soul that has no end. I want to be that bread that has dropped down out of heaven that once you eat of it, you realize this is the most satisfying thing ever and you will never hunger again. And you're going to be like that woman at the well that meets Jesus in John chapter 4. And he says it doesn't matter where you worship. It doesn't matter when you worship. What matters is who and how you worship them. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not about a place. It's not about a program. It's about a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. What does Old Testament history tell us? Men and women are no different than us. In rejecting God. Now on the outside, we may put on a good facade and say, oh yeah, I'm good. But you honor God with your lips, but your heart is far from Him. Surrender today. Because the message of God's pursuit is as long as there's today, there's salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Let me, cl- let me close with a cool story. Leon. Three-year-old Iditarod sled dog who ran away from the race checkpoint in Alaska back in March. Can you imagine? Like you spent all this time preparing and your one of your dogs runs off. So Leon, three years old, runs away. Searchers use helicopters, snowmobiles to try to find him. They even raised thousands of dollars for Operation Find Leon. That's what it was called. No luck until Leon turned up 150 miles from where he made his getaway. He's skinny, but otherwise in good shape, and he's just been reunited with his owner literally just last week. We, can't, we don't know why Leon ran away, but he was found. How much money, how much? How many resources, how much time was spent looking for this little sled dog? And yet he was found, and everyone's celebrating. Yeah, Leon's found! I'm wondering when you will realize that there's a God pursuing you and has spared spare no expense in finding you. He sends His only Son and demonstrates His love in this, that while you're yet a sinner lost, while you're yet a sinner on the run, (laughs) while you're yet a sinner looking for whatever you need to look for in the wilderness, God wants to find you and set His affections upon you and call you His child. Where are you today? Do you know this Jesus? Have you allowed God to to find you? To rescue you? To redeem you? I pray so. Because you either accept the truth or you reject the truth. And as you're going to see next week, these guys violently reject the truth. And it is one of the most horrifying, yet one of the most beautiful scenes you will find in Scripture of a man who dies for the glory of God. But today is the day of salvation. Surrender and know Jesus who is the life. And all God's people said, let's stand, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We never, ever, ever want to take it for granted. The message that has been given to us by angels that all point to the person and work of Jesus, the cross of Christ, which is the hinge point of all of human history, without his substitutionary death for us, We are lost and dead in our trespasses and sins. But you, God, pursue us and change us. You, God, open eyes that were blind. You bring to life hearts that were dead and now cause them to beat. You, God, transform us into being haters of you, into lovers of you. You, God, step in and rescue and redeem when we are powerless to do so. Thank you that while we were yet dead in our trespasses and sins, in Christ, you have made us alive. Thank you, God, that you are a God who is consistent in seeking out and finding and pursuing your people. And while there is today, there's that opportunity to know you. Forgive us for chasing little, stupid, insignificant gods. Forgive us for chasing our own wills and our own desires and our own longings. Forgive us for trying to live life apart from you. Bring us to the end of ourselves so that we can see the majesty of Christ himself. Lord, your faithfulness will never come to an end. Your grace will never cease to be present. And your love is a constant that will go on for eternity. Help us to live in those things because we live in you. Thank you for all the riches and blessings we have in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. May God bless you and keep you. May he lift his face toward you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Have a great day. Make sure you connect with a small group leader, uh, Pocox and Cheryl and uh, Carol and Lori and David and et cetera, et cetera. Have a great day, guys. Love you.